Good evening, and welcome to Dimensions of Prophecy with Kenneth Cox. I'm Brenda Wood. The prophecy recorded in the last two verses of the last book of the Old Testament says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. When is Elijah coming back? That's one of the things you'll learn tonight in Pastor Cox's presentation, The Coming of Elijah. Why did God say this prophet would come back just before Jesus returned? What is his purpose? What is he to accomplish? One of the most important subjects for men and women today who are preparing for the coming of Jesus is the subject, the coming of Elijah. Let's go directly to the crusade now where we'll join Pastor Kenneth Cox and his Dimensions of Prophecy team. Bible speaks of two prophets. Speaks of a prophet by the name of Elijah. And it says that Elijah went to a man by the name of Elisha and placed his hands upon Elisha and told him he was to be the next prophet of Israel. It says that these two men, Elijah and Elisha, went up to the city of Gilgal. And there in the city of Gilgal, they began what was known as the school of the prophets. They began to teach the young men. They began to train them to be leaders in Israel and to be uh, directors and teachers and ministers and all the leadership of Israel. They began to train these young men to fulfill that. And after they had worked there in Gilgal for quite some time, Elijah turned to Elisha and he said, The Lord has told me to go down to Bethel and begin to school the prophets there. He said, You stay here, train them young men here in Gilgal. And Elisha said, Is the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. And so the scripture says that the two of them made their way down to Bethel, and there at Bethel they began another school of the prophets. After that school of the prophets was going well, Elijah turned to Elisha and he said, the Lord has told me to go down to Jericho and begin a school of the prophets there. He said, you stay here. Teach the young men here at Bethel. And Elisha said, as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. And the two of them made their way down to Jericho and they began another school of the prophets there. And when they had the school of the prophets going well again, Elijah turned to Elisha and he said, The Lord has told me to go over on the other side of the Jordan rivers, River. He said, You stay here. Work with the young men here. And Elisha said, As the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. And the two of them made their way and they came to the Jordan River and Elijah took off the camel hair mantle that he wore that represented his office as a prophet. And he rolled up that camel hair mantle and he drew back and he struck the Jordan River with it. And it says that the Jordan River rolled back and those two men walked across on dry ground. When they got on the other side, Elijah turned to Elisha and he said, what would you ask of me? And Elisha thought a little bit and he said, I would ask 
for a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, what you've asked is a hard thing. But if you see me when I'm taken, God will give you a double portion of my spirit. And the scripture says that as those two men walked along, then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It says that as those two men are walking along there, all of a sudden down through the corridors of heaven come horses of fire and a chariot of fire, and it drives right in between Elijah and Elisha. And as Elisha stands there, he sees Elijah being taken by that fiery chariot into heaven. When you come down to the last two verses of the Old Testament, it reads this way. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. When is Elijah coming back? Why did God single out this man and say he was coming back? What was there about his ministry? What is there about his message that makes him special that Jesus said or God said that he would come back right before the end of time? You'll find that people have looked for Elijah for years, for centuries, in fact. The disciples of Jesus talked to Christ about it. They said this to him. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They came to Jesus and they said, Why do the scribes go on around saying that Elijah's got to come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. Said, yes, he's going to come back. It's what they're saying is right. And when Jesus hung there on the cross and he cried out those words, Elam, Elam, la sabachthani, it says that those people that stood around the cross, some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Oh, they've looked for Elijah to come back. The Jews to this day look for Elijah. In fact, when they celebrate Yom Kippur, that night when they set the table for the evening meal, they have the table set with a place for Elijah. They put a plate there and silverware and all. And while they're eating the evening meal, they send a young child to the door to see if Elijah's there. Looking for Elijah to come back. What was there that was special about him? What about him? What does the scripture have to say? Follow me carefully because it tells us some interesting things about him in the book of James. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Boy, that ought to encourage some of you. It says he was a man just like us, had a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months says that he got on his knees and said, Lord, don't let it rain. And God said, okay, Elijah, it's not going to rain for three years and six months. What business? What right 
does this man have to say, Lord, don't let it rain? What right did he have to pray and say, God, stop it from raining? And the Lord would say, okay, Elijah, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Well, I want you to listen to what right he had. In the book of Leviticus, it has this to say, and Elijah had access to the book of Leviticus. You shall make, you shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. God said, I don't want you setting up any idols. I don't want you bowing down to them. I don't want you worshiping them. So that I don't want you to do. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I'm the Lord. He said, the other thing I want you to do, I want you to reverence my sanctuary. I want you to keep the Sabbath. Listen carefully. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. Now, listen to what he said. He said, don't set up any images. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. Reverence my sanctuary. Keep the Sabbath. Keep my commandments. Listen. Then will I give you what? Rain in its season. He said, if you do that, then I'll give you rain in its, se in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. He said, if you'll do that, then I'll give you rain. Would you like to see what they were doing? This is what they were doing in the days of Elijah. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molten image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Everything that God said don't do, they did. And they were doing it, and Elijah said, Lord, don't let it rain. Stop it. The Lord said, okay, Elijah, it won't rain for how long? Three and a half years. I want you to remember that, three and a half years, because before we're through tonight, that three and a half years is going to become very, very important. So you need to look at that very carefully. It didn't rain for three and a half years. You see... In the days of Elijah, there was a king in Israel by the name of Ahab. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And boy, I can tell you, that covers a lot of ground. All right? Came to pass as, it, as though it had been a tribal thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Zedouans, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, if you look at that carefully, the king of the Zedouans, the father of Jezebel, was not only the king, he was the high priest of the temple of Baal, and he had been named after Baal. His name was Ethbaal. He's named after Baal, and by the way, he named his daughter after the god Baal, Jezebel. That's the last part of her name, after this god Baal. All right, when Ethbaal and Jezebel got through with Ahab, he forsook the Lord. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. 
And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. I mean, he did everything that God said don't do, Ahab did, and God said, Elijah, you go tell Ahab and Jezebel if they don't repent, it won't rain one drop for three and a half years. And Elijah walked into the court, and he said, if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent, it's not going to rain. And Ahab said, get that crazy old man out of here. And they tossed him out of the court. And God said, okay, Elijah, I have a special place just for you. And God put him out there by the creek, and he sent the ravens to feed him, and everything went along rosy. For six months, it didn't rain. And Ahab said, has anybody seen that old man anywhere? Nobody had seen him. Year passed. No Elijah. No rain. Now, Israel is in trouble. The creeks are drying up. Springs are going dry. Ahab is sent out across the whole land looking for Ahab, wanting to know, looking for Elijah, saying, where's Elijah? But he can't be found. Two years pass. The grass is not getting green. The trees aren't leaving out. And he sent out a patrol throughout all the land, and he sent out a proclamation asking if anybody's seen Elijah. He has even sent word to the nations around Israel saying, if any of you are hiding Elijah, we'll go to war with you. Three years has passed. Israel is becoming a desert. The Indians, you ever been across some of these deserts out here? They don't even grow a weed. The Indians have a word for it. They call it bistai. It means badlands. That's the way Israel's becoming. Three and a half years, not a drop of rain. And God said, Elijah, I want you to go back and see Ahab. <laughs> Elijah said, no, Lord, Ahab's looking for me. I don't want to go see him. He said, go see him. And Elijah's on his way to see Ahab. He comes upon one of Ahab's servants and told Ahab's servant, he said, you go tell Ahab I'm here. And that servant said, not on your life. He said, because while I'm gone to tell him, you'll leave and then he'll come here and you won't be here and he'll kill me. And he said, no, I'll be here. So the servant went and told Ahab, and Ahab got in his chariot, and he rode out there, and as he rode up to Elijah, he pointed his finger at him, and he said, Art thou the one that troubled Israel? And Elijah said, No, thou art the one that troubled Israel. He said, If Baal's God worship him, and if the Lord's God worship him, and he told Ahab to gather all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and all the prophets of the grove, 400 of them, and all the children of Israel and bring them up on the top of Mount Carmel. And he said, there we'll see who's God. They all met up there on the top of Mount Carmel 
And Elijah told the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove to build an altar there and to put a sacrifice on it and to pray to Baal that he would send down fire from heaven and burn up the sacrifice. And so they built an altar and they put a sacrifice on it. And they began to pray that God would send, that Baal would send down fire and would burn up the sacrifice. All morning long they prayed. Nothing happened. And about noon, Elijah said, you know, you ought to yell just louder, a little bit louder because maybe Baal's asleep. He said, just think. He might have gone for a walk. And says they began to yell louder and they took knives and they cut their bodies until the blood ran down their bodies and out onto the ground. Finally, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Elijah said, that's enough. And he went over to where once the altar of God had stood. He rebuilt the altar of God, put wood on top of it, put a sacrifice on it, and then he told him to go down to the sea. It's not far away if you've ever been there. And to bring up 12 barrels of water, and they poured it over that altar until it ran down. It even said they dug a ditch around it and it soaked the wood, the sacrifice, and it filled up the ditch. And then Elijah went over and knelt. And he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, if thou be the God of Israel, send fire and burn up this sacrifice. And the scripture says that fire fell and it burned up the sacrifice, and it burned up the wood, and it burned up the stones, and it licked up the water and the dust, and all the children of Israel fell on their faces, and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You see, the work of Elijah, that's what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. The work of Elijah was calling God's people back to keeping his commandments. They had forsaken all the commandments of the Lord. And Elijah was calling them back to keeping God's commandments, to walking with him, following him. That was the work of Elijah. And Elijah fiercely preached that among the kings and among the people of Israel. This is what he proclaimed to them. Now, I'm going to move to the New Testament. I'm going to read you some scripture that may sound contradictory. Just get a good hold onto that pew because we'll straighten it all out, okay? I want you to listen. It's about John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They sent a delegation out and they say, John, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the what? Christ. He said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? They asked him, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Got it clear? I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. 
Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Listen carefully. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Oh, those poor, dumb, deaf scribes. They have ears, but they can't hear. I mean, when they asked him, who are you? What do you say about yourself? He answered them as clear as a bell, but they are so spiritually disconnected. They're so deaf that they can't hear. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the what? The way. I want you to remember that word for me, this word way. I've asked you to remember two things. I've asked you to remember how long it didn't rain. Three and a half years, and I want you to remember that word away. Before we, we're through, you're going to see some things. Said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Okay. You see, John the Baptist fiercely preached. Because of his preaching, he was put in jail, put in prison. I don't know if it was the dampness of the dungeon. I don't know if it was the loneliness. I, I don't know if it was being put in a prison after he had been out in the open so long. I don't know what the circumstances were, but the scripture says he became discouraged. And he called to him his disciples, John's disciples, and he said to them, Go find Jesus. And when you have found him, ask him if he's the one to, that was to come, if he's the Messiah. So these disciples of John, they go and they find Jesus. And they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And he didn't answer them. Didn't answer them. He said, spend the day with me. And so they spent all day with him. They heard him preach. They watched as he ministered to the people, as he healed the sick. They watched as he fed the people. And boy, as he did all those things, all those texts in the Old Testament that talked about the Messiah, all those come flooding into their minds. And by the time that day was over, they were convinced without any question of doubt that indeed Jesus was the Messiah. No question. They're now going back to tell John what they have seen and what they have heard. Listen as Jesus begins to talk to the multitude. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So is that what you went out to see? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, listen carefully. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Oh, 
They said, John, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And Jesus said, this is Elijah that was to come. How do you make sense out of that? I'll tell you how you make sense out of it. You see, when they asked John, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Meaning that he was not Elijah in flesh and blood. Said, no, I'm not Elijah. But when they said, who are you? Oh, he gave them an answer that meant that he was to do the same work that Elijah of old had done. They should have put it together. They just didn't read the scripture. They didn't study enough. They didn't have enough spiritual discernment to know what the word of God said. They should have remembered when he was born. Because this is what it says. Luke 1, 17, Zechariah, John's father, the angel, had said this to his dad. He will go before him in the spirit and the what? Power of Elijah. He said, I'm not Elijah in flesh and blood. But he said, I am to do the work that Elijah did. He's to go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was what he was to do. And that he did. I mean, he went out and he preached the word of God fiercely to those people. Do you know what the problem was in John's day? Oh, the Jewish people had not forsaken the commandments of God like their forefathers. Like in Ahab's day, they had forsaken the commandments, not in John's day. John's day, they had just made them crooked. That's all, like they do today. They've made them crooked today. They haven't forsaken them. They just make them crooked. For instance, when I go over into Israel and you go up on the Temple Mount, here's a big sign that says, no smoking on the Sabbath. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of stuff. In John's day, you know, if your parents were a burden to you, you know, you just didn't want to take care of them. Well, you could figure out about how much money it was going to cost you and you could go down to the temple and give that money to the priest and say the word Corbin, and that meant you were no longer responsible for your parents. Marvelous. They had taken the commandments of God and made them as crooked as they could be. And John said, listen, I'm coming to make them straight. And that's what he preached. I mean, he told when the Pharisees came down the Jordan River and they said, John, we went and be baptized of you. He said, you bunch of vipers, you work the works of repentance, then I'll baptize you. In fact, he marched into Herod's court and he pointed his finger at Herod and he said, Herod, you're living with your brother Philip's wife. Scared Herod to death. But it didn't scare Herodotus. In fact, the first opportunity she had, she got Herod to arrest John and put him in prison. That's what he's doing in prison. So he arrested him and put him in prison. And then one day Herod decided to have a great big party, invited all of his governors, and they're all about half drunk. And Herodotus gets her 17-year-old daughter Salome to dance for them. 
And when she's finished dancing, Herod calls her over and says, ask anything you want to of me up to half of my kingdom and I'll give it to you. And the young girl, not knowing what to ask for, went to her mother and said, what should we ask for? And said, she said, tell him to cut John the Baptist's head off and bring it to us on a silver platter. And so they cut John's head off, brought it to him on a silver platter. John the Baptist, his work was to prepare the way of Christ, and he did that by calling the people back to keeping God's commandments. Now, the scripture says, just before Jesus comes back in the clouds of heaven, it says the same message that Elijah preached, that John the Baptist preached, is to be preached again. That's what it's saying. Oh, Elijah's not coming back in flesh and blood, no more than in the days of John the Baptist, but the same message that he preached is to be preached again. Now, follow me carefully. I told you to remember some things, and we're going to put them down now. Listen carefully. He says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So it says that Elijah's going to come back just before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, we found out that when they asked John who he was, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. If you want to have an interesting study, go home and get your Bible and get a Bible concordance. You know what a Bible concordance is? Huh? Get you a good Bible concordance and look up this word way. And oh, what you will find as you begin to look at God's word. Have you ever considered that simple little word way? Have you ever noticed what Jesus said? When Jesus said to him, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. What's he talking about when he says, I'm the way? What did he mean when John said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way? What's he talking about? Have you ever read in the book of Acts? where it talked about the Christian people and it says they were the people of the way? Have you ever read that? What did it mean when it says they're the people of the way? What does that word, way, mean? Let me give you some other text. Jeremiah, listen. They shall come with weeping and with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a what? Straight way in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. What's he talking about when he's talking about having these people walk in a straight way? Listen to another one. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the... What's he mean when he tells you to stand in the ways? And see and ask for thee what? Oh, paths. He's equating the word way and path. He's saying they're the same, okay? Where the good way is, walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. They said, we're not going to do any such thing. We're not going to walk in it. What's he talking about when he says, this is the way, walk ye in it? 
Well, if you pick up your Bible and you get the concordance and you begin to look up that word way, it'll tell you what he's talking about. Let me share three verses with you out of Psalms. I will run the... There's the word way. I will run the way of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statues. I shall keep them to the end. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. When it talks about the way, it's talking about God's commandments. And when Jesus said, I am the way, he was saying that he was the embodiment of God's law. When John said, make straight the way of the Lord, he was talking about making straight the commandments of God. When he tells you and I to walk in a straight way, he's talking about us walking in God's law. That's what it's about. In, a, in Elijah's day, they had forsaken the commandments. In John's day, they had made it crooked. Today, they've done both. They've forsaken them and they've made them crooked. And God's saying that before Jesus comes, he's going to tell people, this is the way, walk ye in it. Come back to God's commandments, follow them, walk in them. You'll find rest unto your souls. That's what he's telling you. That's what it's about. That's what it means. I'm going to get closer, going to de get detailed. Those from among whom, excuse me, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restore of ways or paths, streets to dwell in. Now, when he's talking about restoring the way, or the path, by the way, the old King James Version says, path to dwell in. What's he talking about? Well, listen, the very next verse tells you what he's talking about, that repairing the breach. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing my, your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the light, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. God's talking about the Sabbath, and he says that you and I are not to treat it disrespectfully, that we're not to do our own ways on God's Sabbath, that it is his day, and we're to walk with him. That's what he's telling you and I. That's what it's about. People have forsaken the commandments of God, and he's telling you and I, walk in it. You'll find rest unto your souls. Okay, that's what that word way means. Now let's go a step farther. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation, the second chapter, in verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, who? Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, that can't be talking about Jezebel in flesh and blood, can it? Huh? You know when the book of Revelation was written? About 90 A.D. You know when Jezebel lived? 7800 B.C. She didn't live that long, folks. 
She didn't live to be eight, nine hundred years old. That can't be talking about Jezebel in flesh and blood. I told you that in Bible prophecy, a woman represents what? Church. A good woman represents a good church. A bad woman represents a bad church. It's talking about Jezebel here. All right, listen very carefully. Do you remember what happened to Jezebel? Huh? Remember what happened to her? All right, let's look. You remember, God told Ahab and Jezebel if they didn't repent, it wouldn't rain for how long? Three and a half years. They didn't repent. Ahab was killed, and when Ahab was killed, Jezebel took over. And God sent word to her and told her if she didn't change, that she was going to be killed and the dogs would eat her, and all would be left of her was a little bit of the palm of her hand, a little bit of the scalp of her head. That's what God told her. But she didn't listen. And so one day this fellow by the name of Jehu come driving his chariot into the palace grounds, and she was sitting in the window painting her face, the Scripture says. And he stopped his chariot and told the servants, throw her out. And they threw her out the window, and then he ran over her with his chariot. Now, I've never understood the next verse, never have. It says after he had killed her, he went in and ate supper, and I don't understand that. But anyhow, it says he ran over with his chariot, and after he had eaten, he told the servants to go bury her, and they went out to bury her, and it says the dogs had eaten all of her except a little bit of the palm of her hand and a little bit of the scalp of her head. So that's not talking about Jezebel in flesh and blood. All right, let's see what it does say. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. How long did he give her to repent? Come on, three and a half years. Now, if this is talking about a church, and it is, and if it's talking about committing sexual immorality, it can't be talking about sexual immorality in the sense of the carnal nature. What's it talking about? How do I commit adultery spiritually? I commit it by adulterating this book, by teaching things that are not in here by leading people contrary to what God says. That is spiritual adultery, and it says that that woman would do that, that she would lead people contrary to what the book said. It's exactly what it says. And that's what she did. All right, in Revelation, the 17th chapter, you have a woman riding on a scarlet-colored beast full of the abominations. That's this woman. God gave her three and a half years to repent. I told you that in Bible prophecy, a day represents how much? One year. In Bible prophecy, we've got three and a half years. If I multiply three and a half times, 360, it gives me what? 1,260. Have you seen that before? Okay, God gave her three and a half years to repent. He gave her if you please, from 538 A.D. to 1798. Now, just let me get something real clear. The Catholic Church was God's church. It was the first church. It was the apple of his eye. He loved her. She would not repent. He gave her three and a half prophetic years to repent, and she repented not. And when 1798 came, that ended it, 
And from that point on, from this point on, you have the Elijah message that is being preached today in preparation for people to prepare for the coming of the Lord. God is telling people to come back and keep his commandments and walk with him. And dear friend, I want to tell you tonight, just the same as Elijah of old preached it, just the same as John preached it, it's being preached today. And it's being preached all over the world. Not just here. It's being preached throughout the United States. It's being preached over in Ethiopia. It's being preached on the Amazon. It's being preached in the Philippines. It's being preached in Barneo. It's being preached over in Israel tonight. It's being preached over in China. It's being preached in Hong Kong. It's being preached in Europe. It's being preached in Asia. It's being preached all over the world, getting people ready for the coming of the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. That message is being preached, telling men and women that Jesus is coming back. I don't know how many of you have ever read the book, or maybe you saw the motion picture, or maybe you uh, saw it on television. But a story called The Mutiny on the Bounty. If you've ever read any of that or seen it, you remember there was an old sea captain by the name of Captain Bly. That old sea captain was a fantastic sailor. And the country of England hired him to sail his ship, the Bounty, over to the Indies, or excuse me, to take from the island of Tahiti breadfruit trees to the Indies. He went and hired a group of sailors. Now, life on the bounty isn't very pleasant. Uh, the only people that had beds on the bounty was the captain and the surgeon. All the rest of them had to sleep on the deck. So, uh, you know, to make a trip from England to Tahiti and back to the Indies on that old ship would have been rough. But this old sea captain was ornery. I mean, he was a bear to live with. He was a fantastic navigator, but when it come to public relations, he got a minus 10. He couldn't get along with anybody. For the slightest misdemeanor, he would have you strapped to the mass and beaten. And he whipped those sailors so much until they decided they couldn't hardly take it anymore. And it looked like that all those sailors were going to mutiny before it ever got to the island of Tahiti. Finally, they got there. Well, it's a South Sea island. I mean, it's beautiful. If you've ever been there, the water is crystal clear. In fact, the climate is so perfect that when you walk off the shore into the water, you can't even tell it. The water's that ideal. The women are gorgeous. And so, you know, the sailors all got there and in the South Sea Islands and they stayed on that island and they were able to get heart and soul back together. They stayed there for months. They loaded the bounty with breadfruit trees. Some of them fell in love with some of the women and married them. Some of them fell in love but didn't marry but had sweethearts because they knew they were going to have to leave. Finally, the day came in which they had to leave. They sailed off. And the moment they sailed away, that old sea captain became as bad as he had ever been. I mean, they couldn't do anything right. And finally, the sailors couldn't take it anymore, and they mutinied. 
and a group of them mutinied, and then they tied up the old captain, and they took the other sailors, and they said, we'll give you one of two choices. We're going to put the captain over the side of the boat here in a rowboat, and he said, uh, you can go with him if you want to, or you can stay with us. If you stay with us and you're caught, they'll hang you. That's the penalty for mutiny. They said, if you go with the captain, well, you know what your chances are because we're putting you over the side of the boat here 1,700 miles from England. Nineteen sailors decided to go with the captain. That old captain was such a fantastic sailor that he erected a sail on that sailboat and sailed it to shore. Those other sailors, you know what they did? Huh? Oh, they turned the bounty around and headed for Tahiti because they had wives and sweethearts there. Now, they knew they couldn't stay there because they knew that's where England would come looking for them. So they go and uh, they get uh, their wives and sweethearts and after a while they sail off from there. They sail around from one island to another. They get into all kinds of fights. Finally, they sail into this little island and they find a cove and they burn the bounty and they move on to the island. They are such a rough group that they finally kill each other off until all's left is two men and five women. And those women, those five women, have had all of those old boys they can take. I mean, they're full up to there with them. And so they decide they're going to kill those two old boys. And those women set out to do it, and they got so close to doing it that it scared the daylights out of those fellas, and they decided they better change their ways. One of the things they had done is on the island, they had brought the captain's old trunk, and they got to digging through his trunk, and they found his Bible. It so happened that those two sailors both could read and write, but neither of them had any kind of religious instruction, and so they sat down with that Bible, and they began to read it. And as they read it, both of them were converted. Both of them gave their hearts to the Lord. One decided he would become the preacher. The other one decided he would teach the children. Time totally forgot them. Years and years passed. And one day an English vessel was sailing from England to the United States. And the captain was charting on a map uncharted islands and they came upon this little island that he called Picaran. And he sent some sailors onto the island to see if anybody lived there. And these sailors got on that island and they expected to find natives there like they had found on other islands. Headhunters, cannibals, running around naked, sleeping with the pigs, chewing betel nut. And they crawled up the sands of the bar and looked and lo and behold, they looked right into a village. But the village was clean. The people were clothed. And as they listened to their surprise, they spoke English. <laughs> and they went down there and they began to talk to them. And while they're talking to them, the bell in the church began to toll and people began to come from all, from all over the island. And these sailors couldn't believe what they were seeing. And they went back and they told the captain and they sailed on to the United States and they told the story and it went across the United States on the United Press. Associated Press wrote it all over the country 
and they talked how these sailors had found these people, and the strange thing about it is, is they worshiped on Saturday. You see, dear friend, if you didn't have any religious education, and you could read and write, and you picked up that Bible and began to read it, the only day it'll ever teach you is the Sabbath. It won't teach you any other day. In fact, when they sailed over there, they found the people on that Pitcairn Island believed exactly the same thing that you've been hearing here for three weeks. You see, God is getting people ready for his coming. He's saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. He's calling men and women to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, tonight, we're so thankful for Jesus. So thankful that you're calling us to walk in a way in which we can find rest for our souls. Bless each one here. And tonight, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask those here tonight who would like to reach out in faith and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to ask you just to step out from wherever you're seated and come tonight. Also, there's some of you here that have accepted Christ, but you need to follow your Lord in baptism. I'm going to ask you also just to step out and come. There's some of you that have accepted Christ. You've been baptized by immersion. But you need to keep the Sabbath. You need to walk in a straight way. You need to step out and make some decisions in preparation for the coming of the Lord. I'm going to ask you also to come. Simply as we pray, I'm going to ask you just to step out and make your way tonight. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for your marvelous grace. Thankful for the Holy Spirit that speaks to men and women. Thankful for the opportunity that all of us have of reaching out in faith and accepting thee and having our sins forgiven. That we can move ahead and be baptized and know that all of our sins have been washed away. Oh Lord, may we just reach out take hold of your hand and walk in the good way. Follow thy commandments. Walk with thee all the way into the kingdom. We thank thee for hearing, for blessing. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tomorrow night, our subject is why many people do not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to miss tomorrow night, so we hope you can be here. Thank you. Let me say good night to each of you, and we'll see you tomorrow night.